Thank you all for getting. This is Angelo from New York City at the National Office of the Party. I'm also the director of the People's School. And tonight we're doing Left-Wing Communism and Infantile Disorder. It's excellent. It could have been written yesterday. It's an answer to anarchists and people on the left who say we should not work in organizations that are led by non-communist mass organizations. Today we're going to be doing the Should Revolutionaries Work in Reactionary Trade Unions? Lenin talks specifically about the German left at the time, what we would call today ULTRA, U-L-T-R-A. So the German left, L-E-F-T-S in parentheses, were the people that Lenin was criticizing at the time. These are what he called ULTRA. And he criticized them because he's given his own experience, Lenin, with the trade unions. says it's aimed at applying to people in Western Europe, wherever it's possible, relevant to the history of tactics of Bolsheviks. Bolsheviks. Remember the Social Democratic Party in Russia was divided between Mensheviks, who were basically social democratic, and the Bolsheviks, who were communists. I'm going to read the beginning. He says, this is a reply to those who are saying that we should not work in revolutionary organizations, specifically revolutionary trade unions. He says, in the opinion of the ultra-left, they are always calling for solid and strict ideology, but they don't believe that they should work in trade unions that are left-wing led, he said. That's what he tells you. Now, I'm going to go to page 27. He said, we cannot but regard as equally ridiculous and childish. Remember, it comes in the name of the pamphlet. It's called infantile, childish. We regard it as childish nonsense. We regard it as pompous. And this idea that we should not be working in the trade union. He said communists should work in reactionary trade unions, and that it's permissible to turn down such work? No, it's not permissible. It is necessary to get involved and not withdraw, not withdraw from the trade unions and create a brand new immaculate workers' union invented by the communists, etc. Now, I want to educate everybody on this phone call. In the early 20s in this country, the Communist Party in this country went through its early stages when it was more Bolshevik than the Bolsheviks, and I'm being that facetiously saying that, and we set up something called the Red Trade Union Movement, and it was set up internationally, every communist in every country. It was a small group of advanced workers in each of the countries who belonged to a communist-led trade union. They were called the Red International. And we tried that. And we only got so far. And Lenin explains why we only get so far. He says, we can and we must. We must begin to build socialism, not with abstract human material, not with abstract human material or with human material that's specifically prepared by communists but with the human material bequeathed to us by capitalism. In other words, we have to work with what we have. As Marx said, we look at the world, matters what we want it to be, 
We have to look at the world as it is. True, that is not an easy matter, Lenin says, but no other approach to this job is serious enough to warrant any discussion. The trade unions were a tremendous step forward for the working class in the early days of capitalist development. They marked a transition from the disunity and the anarchy of the workers and helplessness they had to the beginnings, the basics of what he calls class organization. When the revolutionary party of the workers, the highest form of workers' class organization is the party. When the revolutionary party begins to take shape and the party will not merit the name until it learns to combine and unify the leaders into one indivisible whole and class with the masses. The trade unions always begin to reveal certain reactionary features, a certain craft narrowness. In other words, in New York, teachers are on one union, police on another union, firemen in another union, hospital workers in another union, a certain tendency to become, quote, non-political, a certain inertness, etc. However, the development of workers did not, and it could not, go forward anywhere in the world unless than through the trade unions. Reciprocal action between the trade unions and the party. The workers' conquest of political power is a gigantic step forward for workers as a whole class, and the party must more than ever, and in a definitely new way, not only in the old way, it must educate and it must guide the trade unions. That's the purpose of the party. At the same time, we have to keep in mind that the trade unions are and will long remain a special, quote, school of communism. Now, you have never heard this from the trade union movement today, but Lenin called the trade unions a school of communism and a preparatory school, one that prepares us, that trains the workers to exercise their leadership, an indispensable organization of workers for the gradual, notice this, the gradual transfer of the management of the whole economic life of the country from the capitalist to the working class and later on to all working people. I'm going to stop right here for now and ask for some questions. I just wanted to say, in my experience, I helped the UAW strike in Buffalo, New York. I helped them pick it in front of the GM plant. And although a lot of them seemed relatively hostile to a socialist coming initially, once I got to talking to them, they understood where I was coming from and that I was on their side as they were all workers. So even though the leadership in unions is often quite reactionary, even if that reactionary ideology seeps into the workers of the union, it doesn't necessarily prevent them from being open to listening to socialist ideas. Oh, thank you for that. Very true.
So my question was regarding what Lenin said. There's a Young Democrats group at my club. Would it be worth it for me to join and try to turn those people more to the left? Or is it not like worth it at all? Okay, my opinion, my opinion and my experience, rank and file is not the leadership, but the rank and file. The leadership in Washington, D.C. is useless. Mm -hmm. But the local groups at different campuses, I would definitely get involved with them. I have done that. During the Vietnam mm -hmm. War, we worked with certain forces within the Democratic Party to get people like Gene McCarthy and McGovern in the Democratic Party. They were against the war in Vietnam. The rest of the party was supporting the war. Johnson was the president. And I remember the slogan that we had. Their slogan was all the way with LBJ. Thank you. And our button was part of the way because we supported his social programs. At the time, he had a lot of good social programs like Roosevelt had before him. But his foreign policy was a typical imperialist foreign policy. So, yeah, we did that. We did that. You're not going to always succeed, but you'll gain people, even if it's one or two people. The issues of war and peace are the best way to do that, in my opinion. I just wanted to say in regards to what one comrade was saying about working with other groups, as someone who actually went to one of the local Democrat clubs here, you can find allies, surprisingly, and even some of the more unexpected groups, like we became best allies with the Green Party here locally, but the uh, local Democrat club, cause there's two of them here, and they don't get along, but there's one that the one I went to that was dominantly very what would be self-described as democratic socialist, anti-war, very firm on the topic of wealth inequality, things like that. I could have pulled quite a good number of those people just with a lot of the leftist politics that I was preaching. However, and this is where I got warned, you got to be careful with some of the people in these groups. I got barred from going to any events they held because their president was the standard neoliberal that refused to have any type of left radical views from outside the club coming in. Okay, I want to just add to that. That was DSA, right, Comrade? No, that was a local Democratic club. The DSA here locally, too, isn't all that better. Right. Okay. Thank you. Remember, the leadership warn you about the leadership, even in the local level. But the rank and file you can reach, even if you have coffee with them separate from the other group, you have to reach people individually. To answer the question about the Democratic Socialist, I'm actually the secretary of my school's Young Democratic Socialist Club, and I've actually had a lot of success not only finding allies, to help support like anti-imperialist rallies, but also convincing people to look into Leninism and Marxism. So a lot of people that come in are anarchists or social democrats, but getting them to look into Marxism and Leninism has actually had some success because another Marxist-Leninist is on the leadership of the club. But we're a very small club, so it depends on the leadership of the club and how open the conversation is.
around Marxism Leninism because the local Democratic Socialist Club, the one that's just for adults, not for college students, is pretty much dominated by anarchists and sock dems, and they don't really have much discussion of Lenin or Marx. So I guess I wanted a little bit of clarification on this. The little ending part where Lenin talked about the Workers' Union being an indispensable organization for the gradual transfer and management. So is this kind of him referring to the gradual shift of shifting state resources more to union resources and the shift from capitalism to socialism? Right. No, he's not. Yeah. All right. He's talking about having a beginning. The term he uses, the beginning. He's not saying this is the way we should go all the way, but it's the beginning. We're not going to go into tonight, but why we should be involved in the electoral process of a society. He wrote a book. The book was by Badayev called Bolsheviks in the Russian Duma. That was in 1905, 1906. The importance that we should be doing that. And in his time, we said we should be doing it as our own party with our party name, and we should be doing it as a vehicle, as a platform to reach masses of people who are willing to listen to people who are running for office. They're willing to listen to them. So that's why we have to use that platform to give our message of what we're talking about. So, yeah, Lenin was not for withdrawing from these groups. You notice the only people who do that are the ultra-left, historically. Anarchists, middle-class radicals, Trotskyites, even Maoists, those types. We're going to go back to the reading. I'm on page 28 of the New Outlook edition. It would be an error, a great error, to postpone the achievement of the dictatorship of the proletariat until a time when there will not be a single worker with a narrow-minded, narrow-minded craft outlook, or with a craft prejudice. The art of politics, the communist's correct understanding of his or her task, consists in correctly looking at the conditions and the movement when the vanguard, which is the party, can successfully assume power, when it is able to assume power during and after the seizure of power, to win adequate support from sufficiently broad strata, sufficiently broad, there has to be a large number of the working class and of the non-factory worker working masses, and when it is able, therefore, to maintain, to consolidate, and to extend its rule by, again, Lenin talks about this, educating. That's the key point of a Bolshevik party, educating. Training is the second point, and attracting even broader sections of the working people. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, he calls it reactionism. The term reactionism, according to Lenin, it's reactionism in the trade unions. He said it's inevitable. Not to understand this means a complete failure to understand the fundamental conditions of the transition from capitalism to socialism. It would be folly, F-O-L-L-Y, to fear this reactionism or to try to evade it or to try to leap over it 
well, would mean fearing that the function of the workers' movement, which consists in training, educating, again, he talks about, and enlightening, and drawing into new life the most backward strata of the masses, of the working class, and the peasantry. Then he goes on and he talks about the leaders of the trade union movement that are social democrats. He says in countries that were more advanced than Russia, and he means Germany and England, a certain mentality in the trade unions has been and was bound to be shown in a far greater measure than in the country of Russia. He says in Russia, the Mensheviks, they found support in the trade unions as a result of their craft narrowness, their craft selfishness, each one thinking that they're more important than the other people in the working class, which group, and their opportunism. The Mensheviks of the West, he said, have acquired a much stronger footing in the trade union movement. And that's probably why they weren't able to have a revolution when Trotsky was pushing for revolutions and they failed because Lenin explains here that the trade union movement, which was much stronger in the West, he called them labor aristocracy, L-A-B-O-R, aristocracy. And you know what aristocracy means? The hoi polloi, the ones that think that whatever they do is correct, everybody else in the working class and below them. He calls them imperialist-minded and imperialist-corrupted. We have that in our country very much so. And in France and in other countries, Spain and Western Europe, we have trade unions led by Social Democrats and we have trade unions led by the communist movement. And the leadership makes the difference, comrades. He says the struggle against these Social Democrats in Western Europe is very difficult. It is much more difficult than the struggle against the Mensheviks in Russia. He said the Mensheviks in Russia are absolutely a political, homogeneous type. You could, they stand out like a sore thumb. The struggle must be waged, he said, ruthlessly, and it must be unfailingly be brought, as we did in Russia, to a point when all these incorrigible leaders of opportunism and social chauvinism, nationalism, are completely discredited and driven out of the trade union movement. Now, compare that with people that you have come across in the trade union movement today who say the message is we got to all work together. We got to be in one political movement. All right. Why divide one group against another? Lenin answers that. Not me. Lenin answers that. He said we got to get rid of these pieces like cancer in the body politics. They are working for the capitalist bosses. According to Lenin, he said, we can work with them in a mass movement on an issue, like against war or for rent control, but to work with them in the trade union, it's impossible because their leadership and their loyalty is to those that want to keep capitalism. Now, I'm going to go to the next thing and then open up the question. We are waging, this is on page 29, we are waging a struggle against this labor aristocracy in the name of the masses of the people, of the working people, and in order to win them over to our side. We are waging the struggle against the opportunist, 
against the social chauvinist leaders in order to win the working class over to our side. It would be absurd to forget this most elementary and most self-evident truth. Yet it is this very absurdity that the ultra-left perpetuates when because of the reactionary and counter-revolutionary character of the trade union leadership, they jump to the conclusion immediately, the ultra-left, we must withdraw from the trade unions, we must refuse to work in them, and create new and fake forms of labor organization. This is so unpardonable, according to Lenin. It's a blunder that it is tantamount to the greatest service that communists could ever give to the boss. Like all the opportunists, social chauvinists, and followers of Karl Kautsky, the trade union leaders, our Mensheviks, meaning the Russian ones, are nothing but, and here's what he calls them, agents of the capitalists in the working class movement, as we have always said that the Mensheviks are. And he called them, quote, labor lieutenants of the capitalist class, to use the splendid, true expression, to refuse to work in a reactionary trade union means leaving the insufficiently developed and backward workers under the influence of the reactionary leaders. Without us there, they have free reign. The agents of the boss, the labor aristocracy, and this goes according to what Engels' letter to Marx in 1858 about the British workers. I'm going to stop right there and open up the questions. The language and subject that Lynn is talking about, specifically social chauvinism, labor aristocracy, the Kautskyites, opportunists, I think it's really striking to see in one of his works, Imperialism and the Split in Socialism, that he says these exact things about Trotsky in particular. And he calls him a social chauvinist. He calls him an opportunist, a Menshevik, a Kautskyite. And I don't see how anyone could read Lenin and then have the idea that Lenin chose Trotsky as his successor. It's maddening to me. So this ultra-leftism is uh, very pervasive. I don't like it. Anyway, yeah. All right. Thank you. I want to mention something to everybody. The famous hat that Trump wears, the hat that is red, and it says, making America great again. That is social chauvinism. The idea when he talks, if you heard him today about the virus, we're going to open up the economy. We're a great people. Nobody in the world is like us. That's social chauvinism, very clearly. Which groups compose the modern-day labor aristocracy in, say, the United States? All the leaders, from the Teamsters under Hoffa, Hoffa Sun, all the way across to the AFL, CIO, unions, they are all what we call yellow unions. The only unions that we would be supporting would be the World Federation of Trade Unions, WFTU. They're class conscious unions. Most of the communist unions in France and Italy belong to the WFTU. 
in this country, we belong to something called the International Free Trade Union Movement. They changed their name again, but that's basically what their old name was. They were anti-socialist, anti-communist. So I would say all the leadership, 90% of the leadership in this country falls into that category. Your characterization of the unions is wrong. The labor aristocracy started with the guild, the building trade, the early AFL unions like the hat makers, millinery workers, people that started the ILGWU, the garment workers. Those were your labor aristocracy. Before the CIO was founded, the model for organizing was to organize by craft rather than by industry. And it wasn't until the CIO came along and the WFTU came along under the leadership of, in this country, Sidney Hillman from the Amalgamated Clothing Workers Union, that they began to appreciate that mass production workers could be organized. And that became the basis for the start of the progressive labor movement. But the early guilds, as far back as Marx, the early guilds were always privileged and they were always set apart from the rest of the workers as a separate class, a separate organized group, so that they could be used against the mass of workers because of their special skill. And that's where the labor aristocracy began. I have always been convinced about the policy of Lenin with respect to labor unions, that you have to join them and educate them in agitation and propaganda to sway them over to our Marxist-Leninist thinking. I think it's a very pragmatic issue. But I'm a member of PCUSA. I'm retired. How do you do this in America? I mean, you just go to a labor union you know, of your choice and you just start attending? What's the procedure to do that? The object is to start in the beginning with a trade union local chapter that you work with. Not everybody is going to be able to do this in the party, but you all can work. Whether you're young or old, you can work with Lux, Labor United in Class Struggle, and distribute the paper labor today to any mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you see, workers striking in the hospital near you or digging ditches, and you see the rat, the big rat blow-up balloon. You can bring, mm-hmm. give labor today there. It's not for everybody. I'm going to read one more thing, and then I'm going to go to Round Robin. The ridiculous theory, and he puts theory in quotes, Lenin, I'm reading from Lenin, that communists should not work in reactionary trade unions, shows with the utmost clarity the frivolous attitude of the ultra-left towards the question of influencing, quote, masses and their misuse of clamor about the so-called masses. They're always talking about the masses. If you want to really help the masses and you want to win the sympathy and support of the so-called masses, you should not fear difficulties. You should not fear insults. You should not feel persecution from the so-called leaders who are themselves opportunists and in most cases, directly or indirectly, are connected to the boss and the police department, but must absolutely work wherever the masses are really to be found. 
You must be capable of any sacrifice, of overcoming the greatest obstacle in order to carry on agitation and propaganda systematically, persistently, and the key word, patiently, patiently, in those institutions, in those associations, in those societies that are led by conservatives, even the most reactionary organizations in which workers or masses are to be found. The trade unions and the workers' cooperatives are the very organization in which masses are to be found. So I'm going to stop right there. I want to mention a quote from Comrade Mao in his early years. He says, communists must be like swimming among the fishes. And what he meant by that is clearly, is we have to be where the masses are. And the fishes swim in a school. They call it a school. That's where we should be, in that school of fishes, so that we can communicate with them. For the sake of working in these kind of spaces that might be considered reactionary, do you think that this could be translated into online spaces? Uh, Good question. I think it should be online. To me, it's the same thing. Some of these people, they spend so much time on the Internet arguing with people instead of concentrating on getting those people who agree with us. There were millions in this country who agreed with what we're saying. We got to spend our time on getting in contact with them. All right, comrades. I hope everybody took minutes. I hope you learned something. Thank you very much.